Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. I just reduced my cable, uh, uh, not my cable, my internet uh, subscription at the house down to the lowest speed available. Okay. Want to know why? Want to know why? Really, I do. Okay. Because the lowest speed available is 500. (laughs) No, no, it's garbage. Down here, um, the internet is very, very slow. And I had a suspicion that my internet was actually even slower because I live in a condo building and the pipe going into the building, I think, is the limiting factor, not my the pipe going into my condo. And I was right because I have, I think, half speed. No, it's like it's something ridiculously low. It's like 15 megs or something like that. And it's the same speed as it was before when I was paying for 500 megs. I see. That is, so, so you were being scammed. They're throttling you. Yeah, I was being scammed. Um, but now I'm scamming them back, you know what I mean? Ha! <laughs> like tapping into your neighbor's cable. Just getting what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, do you play guitar? Uh, I, I just have it there for decoration, but yeah, no, I like Yeah, it. he does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you're uh, and you're a runner too. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a runner, but I'd like to run. So I you guess just run a half marathon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It would. Well, yeah. There's a May long weekend. A couple. Yeah. I guess that's a week and a half ago. Um, but yeah, it's sort of a kickoff to summer. It's kind of my annual get fit for the summertime thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. But I'm, I'm not using Strava yet, but it seems like that's what all the cool kids are using. So, uh, Does that, is that a uh, necessary condition? Does that mean I'm cool? A sufficient condition, I guess that would be? It helps, I think. That's what I hear. Good. Okay, yeah. good. I just signed up. I love it. Um, mostly because I can see how little I'm running compared to how much Matt is running. But you, but you have to carry your phone with you, right? And that's... You do. Well, or, or you just put them in afterwards. And actually, it just got slightly better because, you know, have you discovered the feature where you can draw your your routes to record, no. like to save them? You can go like digitize a route, the elevation gain and uh, the distance, obviously, and estimate your time on that route and stuff like that. It's quite a nice uh, feature. And then you can save it with some comments or whatever, tags and stuff. and. Until recently, you couldn't, however, for some reason, go and say, oh, I just ran this route, like record that as my run. But now you can. You can say, record a manual activity. I ran, I haven't tried it yet, but I, I'm thinking this is what happens. Uh, and, uh, you know, I ran this route, and it'll fill in the distance for you, but presumably not the time. I don't know. So, it's, I, I mean, most of my runs I add manually. I don't take my phone or whatever. Right. You need to add some photos too then. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. You can't add photos from the desktop app, only from the mobile client for whatever ah. reason. So um, I often don't add photos either. But yeah, it's it's cool. I like you know, I like seeing sort of Chris Jackson's workouts from like he's in Spain right now. Uh, you know, he's just done a couple of tours of the US, as we know. Um, so it's kind of fun seeing where your buddies are, are running. And as you say, being inspired by their, like Zoltan Sylvester, I mean, the guy runs crazy ultra. amounts. He just did a 50K in Transylvania. That is ultra. I I it also is. I also live in a condo building and I've got, I, my home office looks right out over a, a side street here, um, mm-hmm. connected to some townhouses that are also part of my condo building. and. One of the guys that lives in one of the townhouses, his name's Greg, and he's won maybe five of the last eight uh, full marathons in Halifax. And so I see him returning from his 
runs, you know, this guy runs 200 kilometers a week. Oh. What's that? 140 miles or something, right? So, oh. <laughs> so um, wow. yeah, I could beat him in an arm wrestle, but <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to catch him first. By the way, welcome everyone to Undersampled Radio, episode 46. Our guest today is Evan Bianco. You may know now that he is a guitar-playing, running athlete of great success. <laughs> but you don't know who he is professionally. Matt, intro. That's you, Kim. <laughs> We've had Evan uh, briefly on the show before. I, I think as a part of a double act. With, I can't remember who. Tannis um, with Tannis, was it with Tannis? Right, right. Yeah, yeah cool. So, um, yeah, all-round uh, Canadian geophysicist, uh, awesome guy. Also an agile uh, guy. Wo works for Agile Scientific and has done since uh, virtually the beginning of agileness, and um, lives in Halifax, which is where I am too today. But I'm across town from Evan. Um, what else would you like in your intro, Evan? <laughs> You tell me, I, and then I'll tell everybody. I, I like long walks to the fridge. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm sort of, uh, I spend a good part of my career, I guess, over the last however long Agile's been around, trying um, in vain to keep up with Matt and all of his various pursuits. And, you know, that's a, a real pleasure and a treat. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, we... All the things we're kind of experimenting with, uh, it's it's been fun to be a part of and work on. So, what are you experimenting with? Uh, just like you know, running a small company on the uh, the edge of the continent and looking forward into you know where to go next and what to you know what to what next projects to take on and where we want to, um, yeah. What do we want yeah. to do, basically? Pretty, pretty much everything that comes out of Agile, it, it, even if it has one of our names on it, is actually the product of, of both of us to, to a great extent. You know, um, we, we work like most of the projects we work, even, even though one of us will generally, you know, take the lead on it, the other one contributes to in some way. Like it's um, it definitely works like that. We, we work really well together. So, um, yeah, it's uh, and and Evan's also part of this sort of ongoing trying to make as a company. I mean, it's, I say What's transition, transition man. Well, it isn't really a transition. It's just the evolution that I think you have to go through as a small company continuously to sort of stay relevant and um, keep on doing what you're trying to do. Which in our case is help people be more awesome at their jobs. Let's. Um, hear from Evan about the transition because actually Matt you you might have described it previously on the show Evan what's up and coming at agile scientific yeah well um, I don't exactly know what Matt mentioned uh, in, in previous neither uh, do I sections, <laughs> but <Nobody> has any <laughs> <recollection>. <laughs> so, so I don't know if this will kind of match but um, you know, so we were first and foremost geoscientists, but, and I would say my whole pursuit or our pursuit over the last several years, and it's becoming more solid is, I don't know, to be better at yielding technologies to, for solving subsurface problems. And that requires a combination of, you know, computing literacy skills and um, knowing and finding practical problems to kind of work on. Like we're not academics. Um, and yet we're trying to do innovative things. Um, and the push has been more and more around um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, stuff like that. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really um, the two of us plus other people we can drag along with us um, when, when certain projects come along, but, but how we kind of grow that and trying to be I don't know, leaders, if you like, or, or people that are known for how to, you know, setting up and executing, um, you know, augmented intelligence problems for, um, for subsurface. I think, you know, that's, that's where the big opportunity is, you know, and I think probably five years ago, I thought of myself as a, a freelance geophysical interpreter that had rock physics skills and, you know, but 
you know, those, there's other people at oil and gas companies that do that kind of stuff, right? So it doesn't necessarily make sense to hire someone who sits in a condo in Halifax to, to do that kind of work all the time. So I think we're slowly realizing that there's a, there's a bigger uh, role for uh, what's happening at the fringes of, of the industry, right? So, um, yeah. So, How how are the geo science skills combined with machine learning and big data experience translating into projects outside the geo space? Outside of the geo space? Yeah. Are you? I mean, I I am just extrapolating here because I've seen the transition from agile geoscience to agile scientific. Yeah, that's that's not based on like actual projects. That's more of a wishful thinking that you know. <laughs> I think these skills will be are are transferable outside of our uh, sort of domain, um, and you know, but but some of the stuff that Matt has been working on around natural language processing and various um, like data mining type applications, I feel you know he's using geophysics bibliographic data sets for that, but those things are you know applicable to all sort of knowledge networks across different fields, right? Um, so yeah, you know, and we're pretty closely linked to all things, you know, GIS related and uh, map making image, I think computer vision and uh, like subsurface data are, are basically similar, very similar problems, right? Like, you know, uh, if not the same problem. And so, um, I find it's more of a pull from all these other fields like medical imaging and, um, you know, computer vision stuff into our space as opposed to sort of us pushing out, <laughs> you know, uh, petroleum specific insights to to those fields. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Matt, what do you, what, does that make sense? It's more, it's yeah, more of a no, pull. It's more of a pull than a push. It's as much of a, an aspiration as it is as a, a, a description of the sort of projects that we're doing. But, um, you know, we have taken on more stuff that's got less geoscience in it and more, you know, computer programming or data management or visualization or that, that kind of thing. So it's, the, it's kind of more a question of where the balance is and where the, the fulcrum of the project is. But yeah, I mean, and, and I, you know, I, I feel like we're probably not ready to sort of take on a project and, and I wouldn't take on a project in like business, business analytics. Do you know what I mean? It's too, it's too far away from what we're interested in, really. No, never mind the sort of competency aspect. It, it, like we're interested in subsurface problems. We're interested in scientific problems to do with the Earth. Um, so that, you know, that's where we're going to keep playing. Cool. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I I completely agree with that. It's amazing to be working professionally on problems like seismic imaging and then go play with a data set about you know, classic one, handwritten digits or whatever. Uh, as Evan mentions, these problems are directly applicable to many, many fields. And you sort of implicitly solve big problems, big general problems uh, with your specific use case. So um, right on, guys. Keep it up. Yeah, it's more of an approach, I guess, of problem solving. Yep. We, we borrow the approach that other people have shown us on the internet, and we try to apply that. That to our problems. <laughs> right, so, yeah, um, no, it's awesome. Steal that open source software, make it work for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's so far. <laughs> Matt, what's your yeah. Keats talk? Uh, oh, that yeah. So, um, so I'm just before I launch into that, I'm just going to mention again that your your focus is drifting again. All, all my internet's getting worse and worse gradually. But thank you. <laughs> I'm developing cataracts. Like you just need to put tape on there or something, man. It like, isn't. No, it's. It's. You'll see. I'm bringing this camera to Paris so we can all be in soft focus. You do, but there's not something sliding or like. No. It's, a, it's not. No, no. The, the mechanical mechanism is not shifting oh, at all. I see. Weird. Uh, okay, so yeah, Keats is um, the. I don't want to say culmination because it's still a kind of half. <laughs> Half finished project in some ways, but um, the talk that I, one of the talks I gave in Calgary at the Geo Convention was about this um, 
data recovery from scientific images, pseudo-colored images. And um, I wanted to sort of write that up and I put an app together around it. Uh, Matteo uh, Nicoli contributed some code as well to uh, for, the, for the image pre-processing. And so it, this app that's up there and the notebook that um, is part of the talk, I think you can get to it at ageo.co slash geocon 2017 uh, or it's the latest thing on youtube or i blogged about it today that's the easiest thing agile scientific.com slash blog um and yeah so it you know we didn't resolve the problem i don't think but we made a bit of progress and i think the the, the problem can only be solved with a completely different approach than the one we adopted which was too analytic and sort of brittle so what next for that project but maybe uh, someone can pick it up at the hackathon or at some future hackathon and make, make a bit of progress with it where's the code it's on github uh it's on the cseg github page um which might be github.com cseg i'm not sure but uh yeah and the code is is basically just a notebook or maybe a couple notebooks uh that implement the workflow in a fairly step-by-step -step kind of way and then there's an app uh keats.geosci.ai <laughs> which sort of bet like i mean the problem is that the thing works perfectly with a perfect example and imperfectly or not at all with most real examples that's that's the problem well that's so, okay um, it's step one yeah it's step step one i was i was hoping to get to step you know x but i'll, I'll take step one but uh, yeah, so I've got, I did do another talk there on, there's a little bit of machine learning type stuff in that uh, Keats thing. Um, but I also did another talk on the stuff that we've been doing on the East Coast uh, for lithology prediction from well logs, which I will try to record as well at some point. By the way, the tool that I use to record it is called, uh, it's, a, it's a Chrome extension. Oh no, it doesn't say what it's called in the app. Hang on a sec. It's a Chrome extension that, that has no, <laughs> no name. Damn it. I'm gonna I'll put it in the show notes later, but it was really it's really awesome. Like it basically will record your whole screen or just a tab um, from the screen. Because usually I use QuickTime for this, but I was on my Linux uh, laptop, so I didn't have that option. And extension and it's really good. So I will post a link to that so that everyone else can give it a try if you're was doing screencasts what's that it just for screencasting and that kind of thing good yes okay well i've just put the link to the code in the show notes for the um keats talk and okay. i'm excited to check it out because it's been months now that i've been wanting to play with the rainbow bot yeah right 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 <laughs> uh, anyway that was that was one of the highlights of uh, that conference which I wanted to talk about today. Is it, oh, yeah. Which, what, what else happened at the conference? <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't a highlight for, for anybody but us. <laughs> so it's a, it's a personal highlight, let's put it that way. We did a blog a couple of weeks ago about our other highlights. Um, so you can go read that on the blog. Like There were some, some technical highlights, but um, I don't know, Evan. Like, well, how would you how would you sum up that the, the Geo Convention 2017, the whole convention experience? Yeah. So I should yeah. mention that Calgary is my hometown, and I've been to the Geo Convention probably more than any other convention I've been to. But I hadn't been in probably I've missed the previous two conventions, and so this was really a, a step change downward in terms of uh the number of people that were there you know it's almost like a lot of people have lost their jobs or something and that was reflected and you know i think in in halifax we're a little bit insulated to some of that uh you know that the state of the state of the economy and stuff which um was was it was kind of eye-opening you know you, you hear about it but um but i i'd like to sort of um talk a little bit about how that kind of manifested i think in the conference in the format um, you know, and, and basically, um, 
in a lot of ways, it was the exact same conference. In another way, you could tell that they had maybe some vacancies in the technical program and they filled it with some different uh, format, I guess, different half day sessions instead of just another room with talks. And um, some people that know us know that we like those kind of things. We like, you know, different ways of interacting. Um, but actually, so I thought, you know, I, I just, I was just looking at the technical agenda to giving some numbers. There was, you know, so it's a conference when there's 10 different sessions going on, like 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon for three days. Um, and some of the session titles, like, was making maximum use of all of your data. Like, that's a session title. You know, I'm like, who came up with that session title? And then, you know, workplace culture and diversity was, you know, there's uh, the future, how our profession is advancing and changing. Um, getting more from your data. I don't know how that's different than making maximum use of all your data, but it got a different name. <laughs> Fundamentals of professional career branding. On the offensive, strategic staffing for a thriving post-recovery. The modern geoscientist panel. The value of geophysics. You know, all these things sort of seem like, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, throwing life preservers out, you know, to a sinking ship, ship, ship sort of thing. And, um, yeah, so there was a lot more of that, and and Matt and I were kind of wondering what caused that. Is it the fact that the conference organizers had gaps in the agenda and that they never had before, and then there is this created, uh, um, you know, they needed a demand uh, to fill the the seats basically, <laughs> or um, was this actually out of the demand of the, you know, the current state sort of thing? Um, so. Um, and yeah, I don't know, Matt. Oh, and there was this one other particular event that um, I thought Matt would want to touch on as well is this sort of shark tank, dragon's den, like, well, they called it the grizzly's den. It was uh, a, a career placement professional basically ran a, an entertainment like, um, you know, let's do a, a live um, audience participation show and tell for people that don't have jobs and are looking for jobs and it's enter what is she, what does she call it um, edu edutainment or something like it's educational and it's entertaining um, and yeah it all I all felt that it was kind of off-putting like here people are you know in like real career crises in sort of an, and we're sort of putting them up on stage as a spectacle and you know um, in the sort of um surrendering to these sort of overlords of um influencers and decision makers and stuff and i found that really sort of demoralizing in a way um like we somehow have to um get the approval of other people that don't even know us in order to sort of demonstrate or find our value and our worth so you know to me that was kind of like an, an overarching theme is you know, like, I think there's a lot of people who are struggling to find their relevance and their value in maybe in an industry that has changed. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure I know what my identity is or what Agile's identity is in completeness, but I think we've spent, Matt and I have spent more time thinking about that than maybe because we've had to thrash around a bit more than people that have had, you know, um, working for larger companies for a longer period of time. So, yeah, that was interesting. There was the, the sort of more, more social or community or human elements of the conference. I, I feel like there's in a struggle right now. Um, so well, yeah. what was the participation? What, what was the audience participation like in some of these non-traditional sessions? So yeah, my experience is it's people still want the kind of panel at the top and the passing around of the microphone and it's not really conversational. Um, it's, I'm, I'm up top, I'm the guy with the microphone. They're even asking each other questions. And in a couple of the sessions I was like, hey, like, is this about, are we just like, if you guys are just gonna talk to each other, why don't you just record it and put it on YouTube and I can watch it later. Like, why am I here, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and 
you know, I, I went to go like have conversations with people at, um, there was one on the future of innovations and stuff and they had some panelists and they were asking each other questions and passing the mic around really sort of mechanically that didn't have any real flow. And I'm like, Hey, how about like, I want to ask more questions about that. And you know, it was, um, like yeah, almost, it's like, right. Most people don't have the moderation and, and facilitation skills to pull off that kind of dynamic conversation. You know, if you watch, um, I don't know, one of these sort of panel news shows on TV, you know, they're fast moving. Um, the questions are quite provocative. There's quite a bit of, uh, you know, real debate, not just kind of, people essentially making things up on the spot, right? Because they haven't either didn't know what the questions were going to be or haven't thought much about it. I mean, quite often, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I don't want to just sort of lay into um, these things. I mean, they're, they're, uh, for me, the lack of audience participation was fundamentally the problem. Like that's, that's what it boils down to is, you know, gi giving the organizers the benefit of the doubt that they actually put these sessions on to to be more participatory and to be more collaborative and to make the uh, conference something that it a conference full of talks isn't and cannot be um you know i hope that's the reason they did it and it wasn't just like oh god we've only got you know seven sessions what are we going to put on in this other room that we have let's ask you know buddy to do a panel discussion those are easy <laughs> do you know what i mean like i really hope that wasn't it um so, so giving them the benefit of the doubt, I, 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 and I absolutely applaud that because it is, well, it could be a slightly bold move, right? To say, no, no, let's like have these discussions out in the open and like keep it dynamic and we'll field questions from the audience and nobody knows what's going to happen. And that could be really exciting. Um, but, but I feel like they sort of sleepwalked into it, d didn't really think about what kind of, what the community needs right now, which to me is not just a bunch of quote unquote experts sitting at the front telling everybody what they think about the downturn or whatever. It's just not what's required right now. And so I, I you know, I really hope we see more of it at SEG and EAGE and these other conferences that, that you know, we'll, we'll be at some of these. Uh, the, the thing so for me that- you. And the thing for me that I think is really becoming more and more apparent is that the tools and technologies are, are so accessible now. Like, yeah. it's not just the three of us having conversation, a conversation that like is private. The fact that we are posting it out there and we don't need to have a huge audience of people tuned in live, but that is kind of out there. It's not difficult to capture some things from each one of these sessions. Like Matt went to this event on uh, or this one session called the, the Modern Geoscientists panel. And, you know, some interesting, maybe even controversial discussions, but was there any outcome? Like, unless you were there, you you don't get any benefit. You can't, there's no continuance of conversation. And I feel like maybe the tendency is there is like, well, we need to hold on some kind of scarcity. We, you know, we want people to feel like they're missing out if they're not being there. I'm like, no, there's no mistaking. There's no replacement for like being there and being part of the engagement. But like one of the reasons why I, you know, idolize or revere the, the SciPy community is like, there's nothing, there's no replacement for, for being there, like at, at the conventions and interacting with people. But you can now on you you could spend three days on YouTube watching every single video that's posted online, and then you could follow up all these awesome people sharing what they know, having impacts, and and I'm pretty sure that there's a huge economy around that, both for the conference organizers and for um, the members themselves. It's you know if any if us as as a membership and as a, a community we stood up and said we want to like have our talks shared and put out there. Like, let's make it happen. Even some of these abstracts, there was one abstract I saw in a, one of the petrophysics tracks. It was like 18 pages long and it had pictures that were like sliding off the page. And you know, it was just, it was garbage, right? And, but where, who's the person that was like, 
whittling that down and like there should be you know i don't even even if i was reading i i, I saw that two weeks before the conference started and i thought oh gee yeah, but it's so why so why don't they put talks online like i mean i recognize that it's a little bit there's an expense to yeah to recording things and you know having everything um somewhat professionally done you know you can't just sort of record the talk with a um with a smartphone and, and sort of call it a day um but yeah i i mean I'm, i suspect that it is exactly that that they're trying to hang on to the exclusivity and the scarcity of being at the conference but the unintended consequence is that essentially nobody can see what they're missing so it's all too easy to just sort of say oh well you know i wasn't there maybe i'll go next year and um what it what it does is just move the conference further and further away from being essential you know it just moves it further into the dark essentially especially when times are tough right now and nobody can afford to go to conferences you just like you are whittling it away as a as an event uh, into sort of irrelevance and that's you know i think that should be and again it just for me it just highlights between how these societies <laughs> this sounds really I'm, and i sound like i'm being really harsh i'm a member of all these societies and i've been on committees and stuff and i do value them uh, i just want to see them be more uh sort of impactful um so you know so i'm, I'm not and i do try and put my money where my mouth is so i'm not just whining here <laughs> even though it might sound like it but um yeah there's, there's just this gulf between what they see their purpose as and i guess what i see their purpose as what all their purpose is creating that community and getting technical content out there and bringing up the overall level of com competency and so on then then putting talks online is a no-brainer of course why do you pay to go to sci-fi when you you could just sit back in your office and watch all the videos online yeah well i mean like evan says they've done an amazing job of uh, of creating an experience essentially that that is magnified uh, if you're actually there because there are um you know it goes way beyond just sort of coffee and meetings in the hallways like they actually formalize some of the community activities with things like birds of the feather meetings uh, there are tutorials where people have their laptops open and replicate the buzz in the room during the lightning talks uh, online um, you know there's a real palpable electricity in the room when the lightning talks are going on um you know and and they do a really nice job of all the sort of social events and you know the stuff that goes on around the periphery of the conference but there is no big exhibition hall um you know so that's that's not it um the sprints of course you pretty much have to be there to participate in uh, so many of the people who are core in their communities like would be sorely missed kind of thing I mean, you know because they've created an environment where people are missed yeah I mean, if someone doesn't come to SCG or CSCG, who cares? It doesn't make any difference. It's exactly I mean, people, whether they're there or not. The reason you go to SciPy is if you want to participate. Either you want to learn something, like you show up with your laptop, right? And there's internet, you know, you can connect to. People will help you. People, like, you can't go to SciPy. And I'm using SciPy. I'm sure there's other technical conferences that are as good or better uh, in, in, you know, probably in tech circles. But, like, you can't go to SciPy, you have to try really hard and not get anything out of it. You know what I mean? Like you, whereas like at, I felt like at the geo convention, like I'm trying, like I'm pushing, you know what I mean? As a, as a spectator and you know, it's just, it's not sort of receiving, you know, my need and, or, or whatever, or, or sort of, you know, the, the, the ticket price. But I would argue that, you know, like why would anybody go to a live event anymore when you can just, why would you go to a concert um, to, uh, if you can just watch a, a better recording of something on on YouTube or or uh, on your home theater system, I, you know if you go to be for you go there for part of the experience. And you know ultimately we are social creatures, you know. But let's face it, conferences aren't like going to a concert, right? Like they're not that good. <laughs> you know the the quality of the entertainment. You know I think we're kidding ourselves a little bit too, right? So I think you know we have to kind of take back the. Uh, 
the role of the participant in these conferences, right? If they, they should be at the forefront as opposed to the speakers and uh, and all of that, right? And the, the organizing committee and the coffee break sponsors and stuff, so. Should they allow uh, online participation? Should they allow people to call in on YouTube and, and ask questions in real time of the presenters? Oh, they're nowhere near ready for that. I mean, they, they can't they can't moderate what's happening in the room yet. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, but no, I mean, like you you need to have, um, yeah. I mean, it's um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I wonder a lot. Like, I'm I'm I hear in my head. Matt Matt's mentioned me something before in the consulting work that we do. It's like don't talk to people about necessarily about the tools you use because the tools don't matter it's the outcomes right um and the same thing i would go with conferences all these devices or tools or technologies um the tools don't matter like what matters is the connection right and uh, you know because why would we spend so much energy like connecting with people so i would say do whatever you can to allow people to make the connections they want to make do you know, I even know. I found it interesting that on the abstracts they didn't even have author emails. So I couldn't send an author an email and ask him a question to like meet up beforehand or, or whatever, right? So they probably do that because they don't, they can't give people's emails out or whatever. But I'm just like, what's the point of this, um, this big trip if if we can't connect with each other, right? And I, and I feel like that's going to become ever more important as we kind of reassemble ourselves as as technical professionals. Yeah. In, in sort of the doing of what's next, right? So um, that's an interesting idea. I like the idea of one-on-one uh, inter -on -one interfacing of um, people at conferences. So uh, let's say at the next conference, we make an obfuscated email list. You, 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 if you sign up, if you register as a conference attendee or as a conference speaker, you get a um, gram at EAGE conference 2017 whatever email yeah. address and then you can answer that that becomes public and you can interface with people online or or in person when everybody's in the same town that'd be cool yeah so, something like that yeah I was at a uh, strata conference uh, a few years ago um one of the o'reilly um strata conferences and which is sort of big data basically Sort of general theme and they, they had quite a nice concept which was office hours so at the end of a talk the author would say when and where their office hours were well I don't think I'd say where because there was like a, a row of they weren't booths it was just tables basically and every author had like a one or two half hour slots I forget where they would sort of commit to being at those um, being at those tables so that you knew where you could go find them later and I thought that was a really nice uh, nice way of doing it you know for, like for me there's there's always some you know checklists that, or a checklist of stuff that I try and have in my talks around finding me finding the content of my talk finding the stuff you need to replicate this the things in my talk if possible so the data and or code um, and you know things like references and so on and um, or and uh, some kind of license that states explicitly what you can do with with my content right so you can reuse this or this is their copyright don't reuse that uh whatever and evan and i were well i think we started off as a joke but i think we're going to find a way to do this to sort of basically make some kind of checklist that we can point people to or give people maybe even print it out and literally give it to people at conferences so that when they go to other talks they can kind of go through this checklist and go, oh, actually, wow, I, I can't get in touch with this person. I can't reuse any of their stuff. They haven't shown me how to replicate anything. What the hell was the point in that talk? <laughs> and like, and so what, I was, what we were talking about was, you know, offering a prize, basically. I don't know if it's just like a random draw, but anyone who meets, I'd almost be prepared to like actually say, any talk who who t checks all these boxes, I will just give them all a prize because like, <laughs> I think I will literally be buying free prizes at the end of the conference. Like, uh, you know, so watch out on the blog for that. But we'll we'll do something around that because I think we've got to face some facts, contributors to the boring part of the conference as well, 
that we're part of the problem, um, making yeah. these conferences less useful and more about, you know, a thing for my resume or CV or whatever, um, or, or, or just a checkbox on your list of requirements as a grad student to go do this stuff, or even worse, the checkboxes <laughs> for, a, for a prof or a professional to get funding to go to the conference in the first place. It's like, oh, I guess if I just put my abstract in, then at least I get I get to go to Paris. Um, I mean, how sad is that if that's what we've become, right? If that's all it takes, basically, is a, a crummy abstract and a, 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 a make a PowerPoint on the plane. You guys tend to go to more live events, whether it's conferences, uh, hackathons, uh, teaching, uh, attending as students, live events uh, than than most professional people do, and that you know is due to whatever marketing or, or wanting to connect with people, help people. Um, but the question is, loneliness. Do you, yeah, that's right. There's nothing to do in Nova Scotia. Do you guys find that there is more participation from the younger generation at conferences and live events like this than the older generation? No. No. Okay. So no. I've been sitting here trying to find a reference for this while while you guys have been talking. It's a. Um, I went to a live event last year where Jim Coulter, who's a uh, hedge fund owner or something, whatever. Uh, said that millennials are spending orders of magnitude more money on live experiences than previous generations. And now he was actually speaking about entertainment live right. events. But I have to imagine that the, that mindset carries over to the professional world as well. So the answer is no. Yeah, I mean, I, you qualitatively, know, I mean, no. it's, it's a function of lots of things. Qualitatively, no. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think partly at the moment that those those people aren't getting the funding to come to these things, right. Uh, right? So it's even harder for them to sort of show up unless they're students and it's just sort of part of their um, part of their deal or whatever. But I, I feel like they would have less. Younger people would have less resistance, I think, less inertia to get get in with it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, we notice that in our, our typing classes, it's a bit of a judgment or blanket statement, but younger people are typically better with the keyboard, right? And so they can usually bang through code faster. And to me, there's a participatory element there. Like they've got, they're more better equipped to, to participate. Yeah, sure. So like, but I'd say, yeah, I'd agree with Matt. It's not like there's no real, uh, I, I think we, we've done a pretty good job as an industry of of not inviting their voices in the first place. Like right. we've trained ourselves and them. Yes. And and to me, panel discussions are a perfect way to do this, right? Because how do panel discussions work? Well, you invite, you get, you ask some sucker on the committee to uh, invite someone, so they ask their buddies because that's the easiest thing to do. And hey, presto, you've got a bunch of old geezers. Um, mm -hmm. on your panel. And yeah, you know, sure, the, most of the panels did have a young professional, um, did have a woman, you know, there was a little bit of diversity, but for the most part, there wasn't. And um, I think the way that we do recruitment, uh, the way that we invite participation at events, the way that we build committees, all of these things lean towards or rather lean away from inviting participation from well also so with respect to sort of reverse ageism it's i don't want a doctor i don't want a young doctor because he may not know enough and and cut out the wrong artery whatever i don't know um however that young doctor is probably better versed in in the modern practices of medicine, right, is, is up to date on research, is experiencing, as Evan do things, Evan says, is uh, more willing and a, more willing to, to try out new things. Um, do you think that it's our own shortcoming that we don't trust the new generation of scientists who present, unless it's on a poster? You know, I, I, I have maybe biased opinions 
uh, of that of what we can be doing more as a as a as professionals because my wife is a physician and so i sort of see what the medical community does um and like residency or internship is a huge training program where you're like if you're one year older than the person like when you're younger than you in the train, like you're teaching them, right? Um, it's, they're constantly teaching each other things. Like mentorship is part of being uh, a physician and, and like that's a continuous thing. Like mentorship isn't something you decide to do five years before retirement. Like it's something that you're doing as a summer student, as a new grad. And I, and I, I don't know why we don't have that. Maybe, you know, I think the reasons hospitals do it in Canada is because they need residents uh, they need the teaching resources, right? You know, they pay them less and, and it's a distributed thing, but it makes for sort of lifelong learning being an actual like practice, not just a week long conference you go to and you tick it off your continuing professional development. Right? <laughs> so I was gonna like, mention that. <laughs> yeah, right. And so those things I just think are silly, right? Like develop I have to tell somebody that I I participated and did my my annual learnings kind of thing. It's like, no, make it actually part of the the work, the systems. And the other thing with healthcare is it's very, um, what's what's it called? Um, Distributed, you know, it's a distribution of labor, right? Like there's nurses and support staff and technical people. And so um, I, I feel like there's, there's more communication in different like roles. And so it just lends itself, maybe it lends itself to more inefficiencies, but it lends itself better to teaching. Uh, so. Last week, the Louisiana Board of Professional Geoscientists sent a threatening, e threatening, by the way, email out to all of its members, uh, professional geoscience licensees, that they were beginning audits and they would be auditing your continuing education right. credits. Um, yeah. yeah, I I look forward to it. Yeah, why? Why I do they hope, want I that? Hope they because because the training companies and the people that run these development courses have a decrease in their revenue and they're trying to, you know what I mean? Like, I, you wonder what's the role of that? I wonder how many people, so I love, I mean, just like you guys, I, I, I guess this is just an echo chamber because most of our audience too, but I just, I mean, I love doing things that I've never done before. Yeah. Um, and, you know, working with new algorithms, whatever, trying new solutions. And so uh, is the problem, somewhat self motivated i mean how, how do you how do we encourage geoscientists in particular to want to learn continuously i don't know i, I mean yeah, I, thought, I mean well, to I, me that's I, the the notion of uh what it means to be a, have a scientific mindset right is to have curiosity but maybe not everyone shares that um perpetual curiosity about things and they're more task driven or um, dare I say process or engineering driven towards, you know, doing things. Yeah, um, and it's it's what marks a sort of professionalism. It's what distinguishes between a professional and uh, a laborer, essentially. I mean, um, and you, the, the, I have a real problem with how professional the professional societies because geoscience like engineering is regulated here in Canada as well so there is a professional organization or association that um, and it's self-regulated so it's geoscientists sort of um, making sure that you don't call yourself a geologist uh, if you're not a registered uh, geoscientist right you can't put geologist or geophysicist on your business card or claim to be doing geology or geophysics as a company if you're not also further registered as a permit holder. Um, and yeah, if you're not really careful as one of those organizations, then it just comes off as a monopoly type racket, you know, like uh, licensing right. cabs or hotels, you know. And I, I have a real problem with them not promoting what I think are real professional activities, like, you know, the pursuit of excellence. And, I mean, they would say, no, no, that's why we have the training hours and all this kind of thing. But if all it is is a spreadsheet um, and you're not actually facilitating or, uh, the acquisition of that training or improving the training that's available or whatever, then it, it feels a bit like just accounting and doesn't really add any real value. So they need to require that you contribute? 
I, yeah, I mean, or, or just do better at creating the conditions for more participatory activities. I mean, get involved in the conferences, like show up and be part of making sure that we don't just end up with a stream of talks or poorly organized panel discussions, like show up and be part of connecting the community in meaningful ways. Start conversations about pro professionalism, be provocative about it, like ask, you know, be engaging. Like, where are those people? You just never meet them. They're gray-suited sort of accountants, essentially, who, who just, to me, sort of whinge on a bit about filling in your spreadsheet with your professional development hours. I mean, it's not helping yes. me, mm -hmm. this, right? And as a small business, I, I can't remember what we spend, Evan, maybe you can, but it's, I think it's, it's close to 2,000 bucks a year. It might even be over 2,000 bucks a year for Evan and I to be licensed and for Agile to carry on as a geoscientific sort of oh. service provider. Well, that, that cost is minimal compared to the cost of actually completing your 15 hours a year of continuing education, right? Paying for courses or, or conferences. Well, maybe, except, I mean, except I would do that anyway, kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a whole bunch of activities that qualify and, um, you know, like reviewing papers, writing papers, putting on events. I mean, I just count all of that. I've, I, I, I don't know, I've never had any trouble meeting the, meeting no. the requirements, but um, I don't know. I mean, I get that it's a bit like with, I don't know, education and schools, right? It's like they want metrics and the low hanging metrics are your exam results or whatever, right? So yeah. you just sort of pick those uh, but unfortunately, they don't really reflect anything meaningful. They're totally gameable. Um, and you end up with a weird com competition going on that isn't focused on the stuff that actually matters. <laughs> well, if, you can, if, you, if uh, our audience is, is interested in uh, learning something for the sake of learning rather than for the sake of filling out a <laughs> spreadsheet, come join us in Paris in a, in a, in a week, in one week. Uh, Actually, don't you can't. Uh, we can't. We can't take any more. People. Oh, so, disregard, if you're not already joining us, disregard that. Too bad. Uh, no, not too bad. Um, if you're not already joining us in Paris, then please put. Uh, I can't remember the weekend, but it's one of the first weekends in June 2018 in your calendar, and come join us in Copenhagen. Okay. Yes. What are you What are you well, looking uh, forward to um, at EHE conference? Yeah, Evan. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Really, the the it's a front loaded week of excitement for me. We've, yeah. I mean, we're all going to be on the hack hackathon, and then immediately following that, uh, on the Monday, there is a a workshop. Um, you know, so I imagine it'll be fifty to one hundred people and a bunch of panelists. Um, uh, and but it's around data science stuff, uh, and and so it's it's a nice sort of. Uh, um, way to sort of finish the hackathon. Maybe there'll be some interesting people to talk about how things went. And, and I, to be honest, I haven't really looked beyond Monday after that. After yeah, the and, and I'm like, we're, we're kind of like a, a married couple in that we <laughs> we sort of try and you know spread. Like the whole point of being married is to spread your responsibilities out, right? As a sort of oh, that's uh, it. As a unit, <laughs> you know. I mean, this is completely utilitarian. Um, <laughs> So, so I completely rely on Evan to. Uh, I'm the romantic one. Read, read the, <laughs> to read the program, and then just tell me, Matt, go to this room at this time and this room at this time. Um, so I haven't looked at the program either. We'll be um, doing our best to blog the daily highlights as we are wont to do. Um, and and. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll have an understandable radio uh, episode or two or three or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will. What about yeah, a, wa a walk around on the sh on the show outside broadcast? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do. We'll, we'll totally do something. Indeed. Not not, uh, not for drunk people sitting across a room talking about socks and quantum mechanics. Well, that was a trial run, man. <laughs> trial run. Hey, um, Evan, what are you what are you reading? Oh, um, and you get ready, Matt, to answer that question too. I've been slowly reading this book. It's called Whiplash. Um, it's written from uh, 
two guys, Joey Ito, who's the uh, director of the MIT Media Lab, and uh, Jeff Howe. He, he wrote a book 10 years ago called Crowdsourcing. In, in fact, I think he was the guy that coined the term crowdsourcing. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's basically whiplash. How do we survive our faster future? So it's, you know, it's like 12 principles of like, you know, or strategies, I guess, each with sort of stories of how to, uh, you know, exist professionally, you know, maybe in the next five or 10 years. Um, so I, I recommend it. It's got some, some interesting stories uh, from, from, you know, various people. Um, you know, like how a Kickstarter campaign basically did what the Japanese government couldn't assemble in a matter of days in order to get, basically get like Geiger detectors, Geiger counters uh, mounted on cars, you know, for uh, radiation detection monitoring in Japan and stuff. And so um, a lot of the things we sort of uh, are beneficiaries of in, uh, in this sort of connected uh, age um, and we try to exploit in our work, like there's some interesting examples of, you know, basically the idea that you don't need as many resources as you used to in order to make things happen and make a difference. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm quite enjoying it because uh, it's not, uh, I don't know, I read a lot of uh, nonfiction books on technology. I don't know why I find them more exciting than novels. <laughs> um, yeah, before before we went to Matt, I just want to say I had one other comment I wanted to make after Matt talks about his book about uh, professional societies again. Um, but yeah, that's it. Matt. I brought this with me. Could, I don't know if my bandwidth is up to this. Downhill Down from here. <laughs> By somebody, somebody, somebody. Uh, anyway, so it's uh, a description of this guy, Gavin Boiter, running from John O'Groats to Land's End, which, if you know anything about British geography, is basically the top northwest end of, sorry, northeast end of Scotland to the bottom southwest end of Cornwall. Um, so it's something like the route that he takes is something like 1,100 and something miles. Um, and he tries to run it in a month. And he's just a regular kind of marathon runner, I guess, sort of three, 320 marathoner. So a little bit like me in a way in, in terms of his running ability. So it's, anyway, part of my kind of attempt to runner to carry on doing it through the shoogly knees and whatnot. Well, keep it up. What, what about you? Oh, uh, <laughs> I forgot I was going to have to get to it. Uh, I'm reading a book called Dark Pools <laughs> by Scott Patterson. It's about, uh, have you read it? Trading. About these dark yeah. trading pools? Yep, yep, yep. It's about um, machine trading bots, algorithms, uh, sort of a brief history and on where we stand. Um, the, so the subtitle for the book is The Rise of the Machine Traders and the Rigging of the U.S. Stock Market. So. Uh, the book was published in 2012, so it's missing quite a bit of, uh, you know, contemporary history on not only the global economy and the U.S. marketplace, but also sort of the state of artificial intelligence and trading bots in particular. So anyway, it's good. It's it's fun. So, Evan, back to you. Yeah, right. So um, back to professionalism with a capital P. Um, one of the sessions on the uh, how our profession is changing at the convention, um, the uh, one of the the president, I guess, of the Alberta uh, Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta um, gave a, a, a talk. There's a lot of text in it, but basically the idea was uh, to update the standard of practice for uh, authenticating professional documents. You know, this actually putting your sort of stamp of approval or, or of authenticity on, you know, um, a piece of work that you've done. You know, like this kind of thing I've, I've never done in a literal way, but I guess, you know, that's what you do when you put your name on something. But, but you know, it, it, it was, you know, 
the, the mechanics of how that would actually happen in sort of a digital world was, was sort of interesting to me uh, in the same way that we haven't quite figured out necessarily copyright of, you know, machine learning data sets. You guys were talking in a few episodes back, like, like the, again, I think this is an instance of professional societies not really fully understanding the true nature of digital information and digital technology, like, um, it, you know, it, and, and really this whole thing was like, we, you know, um, I don't know, like I wasn't totally sure on what the incentive was or the motivation for, you know, putting a, a, a digital stamp, if you like, on a geocellular model or like, am I supposed to put a stamp on a seismic volume that I process? What if I, there's 10 people, you know, in the, in the pipeline of, of the seismic acquisition and the processing and the interpretation, do we all put our stamps on it? You know, and to answer my own question, I think the answer is yes, but we don't need our stamps, but we should actually put our names on it and do this awesome thing called attribution and we should attribute each other, right? Not so that we can like blame and name call each other when things go wrong or things don't work out or modifications are needed, but so that we actually take back some of the ownership and accountability and individuality in, in the work that we do, right? Uh, so, but anyways, have you guys heard of things like that happening in other sort of regions? You know, Alberta's probably got three or 4,000, maybe 5,000 geoscientists in it. It's definitely the large majority of practicing professional geoscientists in Canada. Um, I imagine uh, a place like Texas would have five, maybe 10,000, right? So, um, but uh, yeah, I just wonder kind of what that means, the sort of uh, the professional stamp in this era of, you know, distributed information and collaboration and whatnot. I think that uh, we need a blockchain for seismic data processing, right? I mean, that's that's a similar concept. Um, but I'm with you. I, you know, I have a. Clients don't care, I guess, right? Clients care about whether they're whether you're successful, right? Whether that thing that they paid for does the job, and I and I. I hate to say, I hate to admit it, but the only time that your a client would ever go back and look for a stamp is if they were looking to blame, you know, for something that went wrong. Yeah, I wonder what kind of stories or, or cautionary tales have happened to to bring this kind of thing into, you know, that these societies are talking about it. Like, what what has happened? that people have been looking to assign blame and it makes me a, a little bit uncomfortable to think about you know i think about those four italian seismologists that were put in prison right four or five years ago because of their scientific you know uh statements um and yeah that whole thing kind of makes me n nervous from a yeah dissemination of information kind of level but what do you think, Matt? Uh, a uh, scientific con contribution blockchain? Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think we've got, I think we've got bigger problems. To be honest, I, I, I think we're so far from worrying about how to interpretation product. You can't even find an interpretation product. Never mind the fact that all I've got from the interpretation is a screenshot in a PowerPoint, <laughs> at a resolution that makes no sense, misaligned pixel for pixel with other data, which is not to scale, has no CRS. I mean, there's just so many other problems that I, I, I it's to, to me just a classic example of a PEGA in this case, having no clue about what professionals are actually having to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, apart from anything else, the fact that 50% of them are out of work right now, so who gives a damn about, do, do you know what I mean? It's just, it seems so weird to even be showing up at a conference like they did with like, here's what we're bringing to this, to this like collaboration, like get ready, 
it's like, who are these people? And uh, it's such a disappointment because they have, I don't want to say, you know, they've got some kind of, they should be there. They should be at the table. They've got some credibility somehow. Um, they could contribute a lot. The people that are running it have lots of experience and many of them uh, do, I think, want to see the same outcomes that we all want to see. They're just confused, hopelessly confused about A, what we need right now, but even if there wasn't the crisis going on that is going on, especially in Alberta, like where they are, even if that wasn't happening, they're, they're still confused about what we need as a profession, I would say. And it ain't that. Yeah, I think it's a symptom of a bigger systemic problem that, yeah. You know this what? Is... All of your members are presenting their technical results in PowerPoint. That is a massive problem. I mean, yes. I, that's almost a joke, right? What? How are you? Yeah, like not just at conferences. Like that? that's the medium for technical work. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's the technical report. Well, to be that's fair, thing, well, to be fair, it's easier to put a stamp on a PowerPoint than it is in in a three D visualization. <laughs> yeah, but what does the PowerPoint contain, and who has really checked it? And and you can get you can email that file to somebody as people do, and they can move something in that PowerPoint. I mean, it's not a proper document. It's just a it's like a bunch of things in a paper folder. I mean, uh -huh. it, oh, oh dear, basically. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. <laughs> but what, was there an opportunity to say any of that in this session we were in? No. no. Because as soon as the guy was done talking, it was on to the next old geezer um, <laughs> who was equally, I'm afraid, disconnected from planet Earth and, um, and didn't contribute anything, um, unfortunately to the discussion either. And so it was a thoroughly unsatisfying. I'm really sorry. Wow. Up I need a cup of tea. <laughs> Sit down. Oh, yeah, I'm sitting down. Hey, check it out. <laughs> I wanted our audience to see that. OK, so if you're listening to this on the radio, Matt is wearing a Software Underground shirt. Yeah, it's happening, guys. It's happening. Software Underground is emergent. Now that everyone from CSPG has signed off, uh, where can the rest of the audience <laughs> find the Software Underground, Matt? Softwareunderground.org. So the first thing we'll be doing is publishing a rigorous volume of standards for geoscience, the application of geoscience. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Software Underground is all about helping you out in the moment and having fun doing yeah, mostly hacking on computers and stuff like that. Like, it's I mean, an actual... It's not an organization at all, just to be clear about that. The .org thing doesn't mean it's organized or organizable. <laughs> dot, dis, dot .disorg. That's what you yeah. need. Hey, Matt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what comes once in a minute, twice in a moment, but never in a thousand years? Oh, well, it, the letter M. Nailed it. <laughs>